0: This is E2B, Energy to Business, a podcast by OPPORTUNE, where we bring you in-house expertise that serves all energy sectors. We examine emerging financial and technology trends and provide a broad perspective on ways to stay ahead, create opportunities, and execute market strategies. Hello, everyone. This is Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and welcome to another episode of E2B, Energy to Business, an OPPORTUNE podcast. Again, I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, and thanks so much for joining us on another episode of our show as we explore some big topics in the energy and oil and gas industries. As we maneuver today's topic, make sure that you're heading to our website, opportune.com. Again, opportune.com, for more information on our various solutions and services for more research and thought leadership on the topics we're going to break down today, and for more episodes of E2B, including other pieces of opportune content like videos, articles, blogs, and more. You can also find more episodes of Energy to Business on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Just hit that subscribe button and you'll have a full catalog of previous conversations, plus notifications when we drop new ones. So on today's episode of E2B, we're going to be chatting trends and developments in renewable diesel and the broader renewable diesel sector. There are a lot of major updates going on in the industry, uh, including reports from the U.S. Energy Information Administration that the U.S. renewable diesel capacity could dramatically increase by 2024. This is based on several high-profile announcements, uh, and that includes some under-construction projects as well as ones that are being proposed. That also includes things like Phillips 66's Rodeo Renewed Project or Marathon Petroleum's refinery in Martinez, California, all preparing to adopt more renewable diesel at scale. So today we're getting a deeper dive on how renewable diesel plays into some strategies toward green energy infrastructure moving forward and how the industry is preparing to leverage it at scale. Here to offer perspective is Mr. Steve Roberts. He's Director of Process and Technology at Opportune, and he's bringing 20-plus years of experience consulting in the energy industry for the conversation today, including having worked with integrated supermajor oil companies, midstream energy companies, merchant refiners, and global banks. Steve Roberts, thanks so much for joining us. I'm really looking forward to sourcing your insights here, and I think we can go ahead and just jump right in. Uh, In the event that maybe there's some confusion, Fusion out there around what we're talking about. Can you briefly explain what the difference is between renewable diesel and maybe the more commonly known biodiesel, and what are some of the benefits of each?
1: Yeah, um, renewable diesel and biodiesel, while they can be made from some of the same feedstocks such as used cooking oil or soy oil, um, they are two different products made through different two different processes. So biodiesel, which has been around a little bit longer and more of the mainstream, it, again, can be made from used cooking oil through a transesterification process that produces um, a product that is similar to diesel, uh, your fossil fuel diesel or your ultra-low sulfur diesel, ULSD, that's used on road in the United States, um, but not exactly the same. And for most engines that are on the road today, most diesel engines, whether they're Commercial trucks or private vehicles, um, you really can't blend more than five to twenty percent biodiesel into a, a ULSD mixture and use it in a, you know, again, a commercial or a private diesel engine that hasn't been modified. Uh, modified engines can run one hundred percent biodiesel, but those aren't very common. Renewable diesel is made through a different process. A little more capital and time and process intensive process to create a product that is more chemically identical to ulsd and can be used as a drop-in replacement for ulsd without modification to most common engines that are out there so if you've got a um you know if you've got a semi that runs on ulsd today it can run on renewable diesel without modifying the engine um, if you've got a heavy duty pickup that you use around your farm to you know, haul tractors and things around, um, haul trailers, um, you can run renewable diesel in that without modification um, and without any side effects.
0: Perfect. Thanks for that distinction, Steve. So moving on now, I'm curious if you can further lay out the landscape of what renewable diesels uh, market motivators and uh, I guess status of the industry is at currently.
1: Yeah, there's, there's a lot of growth in renewable diesel across the industry, especially in the U.S. right now. Um, it's grown globally over the last three to five years, but really over the last 24 to 36 months, it's grown in the United States. And that's really driven by um, a few key uh, policy areas, um, one being the or the United States-based Renewable Fuel Standard, or the RFS, where biofuels or biomass-based fuels in the United States generate renewable identification numbers, or RINs, um, that have a value in the marketplace as uh, refiners and marketers of fossil fuels are required to blend more and more biomass-based fuels into their products. Um, Two are state-based regulations called uh, low-carbon fuel standards, or LCFS, uh, where the intent is to drive down the overall carbon emissions for the life cycle of a fuel and those are in place in California and Oregon in the United States. Um, legislation has recently, recently been signed into law by the, the governor in the state of Washington as well. Um, in Canada, the uh, area of British Columbia has their own LCFS standard and LCFS standards are being proposed across a number of states um, across the United States from New York State to New Mexico and Minnesota and even some Midwestern states like Indiana and Ohio where they're being discussed. Um, and the third one and a major push in the last uh, 24 months has been the renewal of a biodiesel tax credit that adds a full dollar a gallon value to biomass based diesels um, in the United States. Um, and that's uh, active through the end of 2022. So that has spurred a lot of investment um, as people that are getting into the market trying, are trying to get their products to market, um, while that biodiesel based tax credit is still active. So, uh, so really been a lot of growth. Um, it's been slow and steady for the you know, last three to five years, but a lot more intensity in the last 24 to 36 months in the United States.
0: To keep things at a high level. Obviously, we're seeing a lot of uh, redefining legal structures around our energy infrastructure. So I'm curious if there are some key policies or uh, even economic incentives uh, coming down from the federal level or coming up from the industry level that are driving renewable diesel growth.
1: Yeah, the, the U.S.-based refining industry has, has really done uh, a bit of a pivot on renewable fuels in this aspect. Um, For a long time, there have been few of the the global or the independent refiners that have tried to jump into the renewable fuels in the U.S., Um, Valero being one exception to them where they invested in ethanol production early on in the renewable fuel standard. Um, They've also invested in renewable diesel as well. Um, They've been more of a first mover in that respect. They've got a joint venture. With, uh, Darling products, uh, called Diamond Green Diesel that's been a, an early producer of renewable diesel in the United States. And what that's seen is seen others be a bit of a follow, be a bit followers in that respect. Um, so a number of the, um, independent refiners have either, um, started projects to repurpose existing hydro treating equipment in their refineries across the U.S. to bring in biomass-based feedstocks and produce a renewable diesel, um, really to capture the value of these policies that I spoke about before. Um, or there are a number of proposed projects in the pipeline as well, so to speak, that uh, that are looking at how to take these, uh, um, these refining assets that are finding um, more and more challenging margin opportunities in the U.S. Um, and try and repurpose those for higher-margin opportunities for renewable diesel. Again, to take advantage of the, the market conditions and the policy conditions that are out there right now. Um, and again, as we've seen, and as I mentioned earlier, you know there is a market on the West Coast, but there is a large sense in the policy world and in the market that that uh, that market itself will grow and expand not just in volume in the markets that it's in already, but across the U.S., adding additional markets to that.
0: One of the key aspects of renewable diesel is that it's being touted for its low GHG emission profile uh, as a drop in replacement of fossil-based petroleum diesel that's pretty fungible with existing infrastructure. In your view, how has the refining industry been responding to renewable diesel's growth trajectory over the last few years, and what have some of those responses been and why?
1: Yeah, you know, as as you look at the specifically, obviously, the, the E component of, of ESG, and you think about the carbon footprint for um, for, your, for a company's operations, um, and you look at what most people uh, agree to as scope one and scope two emissions for their core Core business operations and how you reduce your carbon footprint. Um, renewable diesel, again, especially in a fleet, um, a delivery, um, a, a um, logistics area. If you've got that area of your business, um, there is a clear path to reducing your carbon footprint through the renew through the use of a product, a fuel like renewable diesel. Um, when you look at some of these low carbon fuel standards that are out there, um, and using California as an example, the intention of those is to reduce the carbon intensity from, for the entire life cycle of the fuel. So they have a model that is developed to say, okay, how much carbon is emitted for, for fossil fuel from well to tailpipe and for a biomass based fuel from, you know, planting through tailpipe. Um, And these renewable diesels, some of them can have, you know, pretty substantial reductions in the overall carbon emissions for the fuel for the life cycle. So when you take um, a renewable diesel that has a a very good score, very good carbon intensity score, um, you can have a carbon intensity for your diesel fuel that you're using in logistics that is as low as, you know, Below a half of the the carbon footprint of uh, ULSD that you would normally be using. So if you're looking at your scope one, scope two emissions, you're a logistics company and you've got trucks on the road on a regular basis. Um, you know, you're looking at, um, how do I meet my, my E part of my ESG goals? Um, you know, there aren't a lot of options to get to zero on the on road logistics part of it yet. Those. I think those type of that type of transition is still yet to come. Um, but if you want to start down the path and, and set a goal and set targets along the way, um, renewable diesel or biodiesel, um, can really help you get down that path. And like I said, even some of the ones that are out on the market today on the West Coast, you can reduce by, by, by more than 50% the overall carbon intensity per gallon of fuel that, that, that you're using in your, um, you know, in your your engines to to you know, deliver packages for for whether you're UPS or DHL or Amazon, you
0: know any of the, anything that
1: would run a uh, a diesel engine for logistics, um, you know, really reduce that carbon footprint.
0: Another major motivator pushing uh, different players in the energy and oil and gas sector to rethink their portfolios uh, comes from esg pressures again environmental social and governance strategies that are defining a lot of business models regardless of industry but also in oil and gas so how does renewable diesel fit within the overall esg frameworks that energy companies are now taking a much harder look at and what are your thoughts on how renewable diesel can help achieve some of those esg goals and achieve net zero goals as well well
1: i think as we sit in the middle of 2020 2021, um we've seen that already um prices have eclipsed the 2013 levels and that's been driven by a number of different things so um so we mentioned kind of the three levels that are driving this investment with the rfs uh, at the at the federal levels being the, the top one um just from a an overall you know uh, state uh, down to local level um and, and really the uncertainty and the volatility in the RINs markets um in 2021 has been driven by a few key factors, one um, being the uh, the getting back to normal from the pandemic of last year. Um, There are certainly fits and starts of that that all of us have seen, certainly across the industry. Um, Overall, gasoline demand is back up and near normal levels. But from a refiner's perspective, um, that's not quite back to normal because you still don't have the jet fuel um, demand back to normal. so there's still a lot of volatility in that demand side. Um, and then you've got a couple of key um, decisions um, by federal agencies, one actually by the Supreme Court that came down a few weeks ago, where they sided with the Tenth Circuit, uh, or sided against the Tenth Circuit, I'm sorry, um, and upheld the small refinery exemptions for um, a number of, of small refineries that were seeking exemptions to the RFS based on the economic hardship that the RFS puts on smaller refineries. Um, that uh, ruling came down in the last few weeks that actually calmed down the volatility a little bit. But that was uh, really the first of two two shoes to drop this summer. Uh, the second, which is still expected uh hopefully sometime here in July of twenty twenty-one, is the 2021-2022 um renewable fuel uh, volume obligations um, that refiners are going to have to meet for uh, for 2021 and 2022. Normally, the EPA will set those standards in the prior year. Um, the previous administration um, kicked the can down the road to the current administration. The current administration has made the decision that uh, they wanted to wait and see what uh, what was going to happen, really, from the Supreme Court ruling, to see where they were going to then set. The overall standards and that affects then not only the refining industry and how much biofuels they need to blend into their products they sell to customers. Um, it affects the, uh, the biofuel industry as well because it's going to affect, you know, their production side, the demand for their products, um, across the board. Um, so those are expected here in the next, in the next few weeks, really set standards for 2021 and 2022. And that will really then, um, help set a, Uh, kind of a new level for RINs for hopefully the next, um, 8, 12, uh, you know, 24 months, um, and help for really both sides for the biofuel industry and for the refining industry, um, tamp down the volatility in the RINs market a little bit that, um, while it's, uh, certainly good for speculators in the market. And one of the things that the renewable fuel standards allows is speculators in that market. Um, it's not great either for either the, uh, the the refining industry or really the, the biofuel industry, a little more certainty on that will be welcome from, from both sides.
0: All right, Steve, thanks for all your insights so far. I've got one more question for you here, but let's peer into the crystal ball a little bit. Going forward, what does the outlook for renewable diesel look like, at least for the remainder of this year? But if you can project out over the next three to five years, go ahead and give us that context as well.
1: Yeah, I think we're going to continue to see um, what we've seen by, in the refining space in North America, um, we've seen some of the larger integrated, um, you know, independent refiners uh, take up the mantle of renewable diesel production by um, repurposing existing facilities, um, maybe some of the facilities that might have been idled, or even some facilities that might have been mothballed um, if they weren't converted to renewable diesel. And I think we'll see a, um, uh, I think we'll see that trend continue. Um, we've seen even recently some some more independent um, entities uh, actually purchase a refinery and say, you know, on, on the day they purchase, hey, we're investing another X millions of dollars to repurpose the facility to produce renewable diesel specifically for the West Coast market because we see that demand continue to grow. And, you know, while the current plus in construction plus projected or at least announced plans for renewable diesel um, would meet the current California demand for renewable diesel. Most of those projections that, that I've seen don't also add in, even while they're incremental, the Oregon, the Washington, and then again, the, this um, this trend is not going to slow down. Um, the the low carbon fuel standard is is seen as a very solid way to continue that energy transition and. You know, it started really with California and Oregon, and, it, and it's not slowing down as it comes across the United States. I think people will be surprised what states, um, you know, come across and propose legislation next in those areas, with New Mexico being very, very aggressive right now. You know, uh, a New Mexico, a a state that uh, relies very much on their fossil fuel production for a lot of their revenue, you know, in their state legislator, they see the transition coming and they are aggressively, very aggressively going after legislation. Um, in the state of Washington, I believe it took four years from the first introduction to where the governor signed it uh, into law. Um, I think that number of years it's going to take from initial introduction to signing into law um, for new states is going to come down. Um, whether thats I don't think it's going to, you know, it's in New York, I think it's been two years now, um, but I think it's going to be in the the two to three year range now where hey, it gets introduced and then it finally gathers enough support and, and the framework is, a, is approved across multiple states to, to have that, that new introduction. And that's just going to continue to spur investment. Um, and I, I think repurposing of existing refining units into these new renewable fuels units, um, to, you know, to meet the continued transportation fuel needs of the United States.
0: All right, Steve, thank you so much for your insights today. I appreciate you joining us here on E2B to help break down some of the updates in renewable diesel, how different energy companies are strategizing around this uh, energy asset and how it's going to continue to play into some of the other market motivators shaping the portfolios and business models of energy companies and oil and gas companies as well. So thank you again to Steve Roberts, Director of Process and Technology at OPPORTUNE. Steve, it's really been a pleasure. And thank you everyone for listening to another episode of Energy to Business. If you like what you heard and you want to listen to some previous episodes, make sure that you're heading to our website, OPPORTUNE.com. Again, OPPORTUNE.com, as well as subscribing to e 2 on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time.